Welcome to the Audiobook Lovin' Series, a month-long event celebrating the authors and narrators that bring romance stories to life. Listen along as Viviana, Enchantress of Books, interviews your favorite writers and voices, share special guest posts, and stay tuned for some special information at the conclusion of the episode. Hi everyone, today I have the pleasure of chatting with the author and the narrators voicing the villains of Man of War, author TJ London, and her narrators Patrick Zeller, John Hartley, Marnie Young, James Cheatham, and Drew McCarthy. Thank you guys so much for being here today with us and chatting and discussing all things Man of War. Welcome back, TJ, Patrick, John, and Marnie, and James and Drew, you guys are new! Welcome! glad to be here thank you very much yeah no longer virgins yes i've popped your cherry it's always a fun thing to say sorry (laughs) (laughs) everyone listening we have everyone here today as far as the villains goes but they are also from all over the place so we drew is in new zealand right and it's like two o'clock in the morning over there it sure is yeah so Thank you all guys for being here today. Hope everything's going well. How are you guys doing today so far? So good? I am one cup of coffee in, so we're off to a good start. All right, me too. Double shot espresso, don't know if that counts or not, but still Mm -hmm. one cup of coffee in. And Tara Langella is not, is one of our villains, but she's not able to make it, but we will be chatting with her a little bit later on. So we'll be adding her audio to some of this stuff and kind of, we're going, you know, kind of go from there. We have spoken with TJ, Patrick, and John before. So we'll include the links to our chats in the past because we've discussed things about this series and saga for those that are wanting to listen, but we're going to go around the table per, you know, per to speak and kind of get a little inside and get to know you guys better tell us how long you've been narrating how you guys started and who you're voicing in man of war patrick you want to start with you sure i've been acting for 20 uh, some years did a little bit of voiceover but then i i went down to um, san diego from la for grad school and by then and we had kids and decided to stay in san diego and i just was commuting back and forth for auditions and work and stuff and i was trying to figure out like how am i gonna like make some money and just stay put so i don't have to keep going up for every little thing and then i started dabbling in some more voiceover and then i started doing some more audiobooks and then i really 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 liked audiobooks and people started hiring me for more so i kept doing it uh and now that's i mean that's the the bread and butter now and the voices i am doing are james and uh everyone's a little younger right because it's a prequel so so i got right. james and i've got uh delancey's coming back so that's fun too it's great and a bunch of little other fun everybody loves fun. that villain that's like that you made that villain famous patrick <laughs> <laughs> he is he is a special kind of despicable it's fun I love it. That should be a quote. Special kind of despicable. I I kind of need to borrow that. Yeah. (laughs) It's all yours. Yeah. Marnie, what about you? Oh, sure. Um, Yeah. I mean, I've been acting since, you know, I could get people's attention doing my ridiculous uh, voices and accents and whatever else. And then, yeah, I mean, you know, I got my MFA from Yale and was on my track doing my thing. And then I got pregnant with twins. And so that definitely change things for me and a friend of mine said you should get into voiceover you know or voice acting you have a nice voice and that was it that started it for me because I could work from home and take care of my twins and do something that I love and so that was gosh like 2016 so here we are how later six years later (laughs) still doing it and love it I placed Celeste Celeste yes and you guys Ah. are yeah (laughs) 
Yeah, and it's actually one of the few female characters of villains here too, TJ, right? So there are 400 technical men that would be on this size of a ship and we have like three females. So it can be a good thing or a bad thing depending on how you look at it. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> also in part of the story, we do go to New York City and that's where we find the diabolical and very famous Celeste, which you made famous in the Tory and the Traitor. Seriously, like everybody, I like all I hear is your voice now when I write her, I'm all like, oh. Thanks. What can I give Marnie to say now? <laughs> <laughs> so fun. So yeah. fun. Perfect. Yeah. And John? Oh, it's such a pleasure to be here, Viviana. Um, I've been similar to these guys. I've been doing audiobooks with romance-oriented uh, themes for a good number of years, and I just love it. And the community is amazing, and that's one of the most special things is being able to engage like this. It's my first time in this world, though, in the Man of War uh, world. So I'm thrilled TJ brought me on for this one. And yeah, so I'm reading as Rene, Rene Lévesque, who is one of the juiciest villains I've ever done. Um, <laughs> his, uh, his brother, Leo, and then the, uh, the more heroically oriented Stephen McKesson. Uh, I will say that um, for people who know Delancey, he's very diabolical, but he learned it from Rene Levesque, which is oh. why he's such an important character. So you don't become evil just for the fun of it. Like somebody helps foster you. So these two it. characters are kind of partners. And, and yeah, you have Steven. So you got like both ends of the spectrum, uh, oh. voicing wise. Oh, yes. completely. <laughs> That's so exciting. That's one of the best things though about audiobooks in general is being able to play multiple roles and discover all these different characters in the same, uh, in the same project. It's rare, mm -hmm. it's amazing. The best is though, when I get to listen to some of the clips and I hear like one where you're doing Renee and one where you're doing Leo, it was like the first 15 minutes and then you're doing Steven, I'm like, Oh, wow. <laughs> Me and Danielle had a couple moments where we're texting each other back and forth. If you don't know who Danielle, well, they know who Danielle is, but um, for the listeners, she runs Elysian Nightfall Studio. She's my producer. And she would call me and she'd be like, Trace, you got to hear this. You got to hear this. Mm -hmm. And there were a couple of those with you. And then there was a couple of those with all of you where we were just like salivating secretly. I'm trying to work my real job. I'm like, hey, I got to do a job here, Danielle. She's like, no, no, you got to listen to Patrick's English accent or you got to listen to Marty <laughs> doing this, you know. Priorities. So, Oh, absolutely. Know, right? uh, you yeah, know, especially when she, yeah, especially when she's sending me Facebook messages saying, girl, girl. <laughs> so dude and girl yes. are good things. If yes. you get a girl or you get a dude, dude. it's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Because I was like, dude, James and Drew. Oh, mm, dude. <laughs> there were a lot of dude, John Hartley. <laughs> yes, oh, yes, nice. yes, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you guys have been making her very happy. I will give you that insight um, to how this has all gone through. And so it was, it's been great to kind of see that process from the casting to, you know, the selection and everything. And then getting her reaction has been priceless. Um, <laughs> very animated, very animated. Yes, yes, very much so. James, what about you? How'd you get started? A little bit about me. To borrow a phrase from Bilbo Baggins, I am retired military and have literally been around the world and back again. I've been in audiobooks now for a little over four years and got my start simply because 10 people who have no relation to each other whatsoever told me the same thing the exact same way. Oh my gosh, you've got such a great voice. Have you ever considered doing audiobooks? And it all started because the first one overheard me reading to my kids, the Chronicles of Narnia. Oh. So all of that coupled with my background in theater, playing everything from a tree to Boris Renfield in Dracula, the musical, I've mm. always had a knack for being a nutcase. 
<laughs> in man of war i am responsible for all of the sailors all 15 of them everybody from captain barrington at the very beginning to edwin castor he's probably my favorite to ah. the uh elderly caretaker uh, jack johnson love every single one of these characters they're phenomenal Mm -hmm. Oh, so the funny thing is Edwin Castor, just like a sneak peek here, is named after my husband's family member. So many of the characters in the books are actually named after people that I really know, okay. or their names are specific to like a favorite book character, which when we get to Drew, I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. But so yeah, where, where are our names getting into that, TJ? <laughs> <laughs> are you getting into the book? <laughs> actually the funny thing is is i i do even take people i know and make them eventually characters when i get really inspired by them so i have a husband in this book i'm in this book i have a best friend in this book i have a woman uh, an elderly lady i caretake for who's in this book so like i keep all those secrets for like podcasts so i can spoil it you know when we all get together and actually tell you i'm not totally demented some of it really does come from somewhere so <laughs> it's always why we always say be nice to the author you might end up being killed off in her oh, book yes. they, <laughs> I, I have her mug yes. i have her yeah. mug <laughs> I will confess that there is also a few people who have also, I, I have immortalized them in fiction too. Yeah. So, you know, I admit it. <laughs> I help her cast some of her books. So she, I'm, I'm good, I think. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and Drew, closing off this table conversation here. How'd you get started and who are you voicing? Tell us, tell us. Well, so I'm a New Zealander who happens to work mostly in voiceover overseas in different accents. So I probably spend 50% of my time in voiceover, 20% of my time in film and 30% of my time in theater here in New Zealand. And being able to do audiobooks is just the joy, right? Because so much of voiceover is doing some corporate, you know, HR work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Videos I have to watch. Yeah, yeah. And, and while it pays the bills, it's not joyous, but doing audiobooks <laughs> is joyous. And so being able to do that has been such a joy. Um, I play everything in this book from an eight-year-old boy to an elderly king. So, you know, what does that say about me? Who knows? <laughs> it says that you're a like I, I when I wrote your guys's um, like synopsis up that you're jack of all trades master mm -hmm. of none like I can put your voice which was like the best part of the trader when we did that like I would get the drew clips of the different soldiers I'd be like yay it's a new voice <laughs> <laughs> yeah but you voice Philip Kent and so my I most do. favorite book is The Bastard, and it's by John Jakes. I don't know if any of you are familiar with John Jakes. He wrote The Bastard, The Rebels, The Seekers. He wrote North and South. Yes. And yeah, yeah. I was most inspired by American Revolutionary War through those books, because they're an American Revolutionary War saga. So I wanted to use his name somewhere in homage to you know this, or homage, or however you want to say it, to this favorite story of mine. So the five-year-old boy in the story is, is Philip Kent. And he eventually becomes a major character later in the saga. So we're kind of meeting him like at the beginning of the story. He's, so he's um, by far my favorite character. You yeah. liked him, really? Oh, oh. <laughs> because he's about the same age as my son and they have the same, a similar kind of charisma and innocence and just unbridled enthusiasm. So to be with him 
throughout the book is just heartbreaking and like ah it was so fun and sweet I like to hear that because I am I have no children so I really had to pick from like kids that I knew and so I have this precocious little next door neighbor named Jack who's a babe and so I used him really as my example for you know for Philip Kent and like Mm -hmm. the enthusiasm and kind of the foil for this very dark and very heavy story at times and he is a little bit of the comic relief of the story. So Drew, we, when we were picking the voices, we were like, who can we throw in there who will really give this? And and so certainly it was, you know. We Yet you gave it. me the oldest man in the world. <laughs> well, there's a challenge. It's like, I think authors sometimes will do that. Like, At the same well, time. Like, well, can, here's you know? the thing. So he's referring to King George II, right? So and this is the first time in any of my books, we meet King George III and we meet King George II. King George II in this book, actually. And I, I thought it would be fun to see how far we could stretch you, right? <laughs> we're gonna give you, we're gonna push it really to the limits, right? Kind of like what I did with John. We're gonna give you these, we're gonna give you someone really nice in the, the heart of the story, and we're gonna give you the most diabolical villain. Um, and really seriously, when we were doing this, we thought about that. Kind of like with Patrick giving him the Broad Street Boys. We're like, he needs a little laugh. You know oh, what I yes. mean? <laughs> that was much appreciated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was great. So, so there was it, there was method to my madness. Well, look at Marnie. You do the you did our sister Alice, but you also yes. do Celeste. So you do have yeah, the, that's the, true. It's like the opposite. We did. I kind of did that. I admit there's right. a bit of diabolical thought behind that to see how Genius. far I can I can push <laughs> you guys it. a little bit and see what you can do with it. So thank you. <laughs> what is that saying? There's a fine line between madness and genius. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I ride yeah. that line daily. Yes, it's always a fun line to ride. Yeah. So you guys are all basically the villains of this of this one title and also throughout part of the saga. So what do you guys like best about portraying villains? I can legally do it in an audiobook, not in real life. <laughs> James, that's a good one. So what about the yeah, rest I'll, of you guys? I'll just say I like to take my hands off the wheel and that's kind of fun not getting to do that all the time in real life and for a few hours in my imagination that's really a treat so i dig that but specifically to this story what i love 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 that trish does is her whole um thing sort of holding it all up is this idea of trauma begets trauma trauma doesn't happen in a in a vacuum and so for us in this little podcast this afternoon we get something that always has like a real foundation. So we don't have to spend so much time twirling mustaches because it's all right there. It's cool. <laughs> well, it's interesting that you say that, Patrick, because you play like a really dark villain, right? And we've often talked about, you know, where does he come from? In Man of War, you get to see a little bit of where he comes from too, you know, and then certainly where James McKesson comes from. And I, as a writer, I don't believe that villains are born villains. Like we are, we become them in a place of survival. I mean, obviously there is certainly, there's issues that people can have and that kind of thing. But I always look at villains like in my life or in books, like where did they come from? And not that they're heroes in their own mind. I don't think that's the case. I think they're survivors and this is how they sometimes get to where they are too. So it's like the creation of a villain a little bit, you know, and and you do that so well. (laughs) I sometimes think it's really great as well to make a villain, not necessarily likable, but you know, when you kind of think, ah, you know, I understand where he's coming from. I would never behave that way myself. 
but I kind of see why he's uh, why he's reached this place or why she's reached this place. And TJ, I love that you gave us all free reign to just lean into whatever characterization we wanted to. It didn't have to be a little bit too subtle or too safe. It could just be full throttle. Go for the darkness. It's the best. I think I put it in the letter, like play to the second balcony. Um, I love that. That really started from the Tory, like the original cast just played to the second balcony when they did the Tory. And I thought it was just my fans loved it. And I really loved listening to it for myself. So I was like, yeah, let's just, you know, go for it. You're all actors. You're so brilliant. Why put the reins on you? You know, like just just give it what you've got and and take us all for the ride, for the journey. And I learned so much by listening to all of you and creating characters and stuff. It, it just further kind of feeds my inspiration as I continue to write. And I will say that Marnie and, and Drew and Patrick have inspired me as I've moved along in my journey writing my next two books. So it really does come from hearing you and experiencing the villain kind of through your eyes a bit too. So I just had to kind of add that in there. So. Well, and to connect the, you know, trying to create humanity and also playing to the second balcony i play a character called lord loveland in this oh yes <laughs> in which i don't think there's any humanity and i play it to the ninth balcony <laughs> <laughs> no, no. it is ridiculous I just, because i saw the direction i saw the direction that tj gave which was just go for it and i thought you know what who cares Rude. if it's I'm, terrible I'm, they'll tell me and i'll change it yeah, with your scenes <laughs> where it's where it's loveland where it's leo and where it's uh renee those those scenes are so naughty they're amazing <laughs> delicious there, delicious there, there are a few that are really naughty and i do have readers occasionally like are you like where did you come up with this i'm like i i I'm not responsible for whatever those characters say when I get behind the computer. I am, cannot be held responsible. <laughs> You're a vessel. And those, You're channeling. Well, yeah. I've got to be honest with you. Some of it is because honestly, when I go through and I finish reading what I've done, I'm like, where did this come from? Like, where did I get this from? And, and this is one of the big secrets all my friends know is I don't listen to any of my sex scenes, like any of them whatsoever. <laughs> I have to always call, like, I always have to talk. Try to reading them. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> well and the worst is when you're like somebody's gonna have to read this you know and you're typing <laughs> i remember on the trader when i did that one it was so funny because danielle had every bet on the table to try to get me to listen to it literally she's like can i bet you this can i get bet you this we're gonna be like seriously trader because i lost a bet to her Ooh, so um nice. yeah and so some and of the now we know how to get her really... to listen to them. <laughs> yeah. I'm always I'm always down for a truth or dare or something like that, you know. But uh, yeah, no, no. In, in some of the scenes with I will agree, Lord Loveland and Leo and I actually felt bad. I'm like John Hartley got all the. Oh please, the really... TJ. I'm grateful. <laughs> I'm it. glad you're a team player. Thank you. <laughs> so live for it. I am. Um, what I think is so wonderful about what you all know about Tracy's writing is that there's really no black and white for most of the it's so there's a lot of gray and that is as an actor that's gold that that is so incredibly exciting to play because it's the layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of these characters that are like you said you know as 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 Patrick was saying about trauma in their lives and trauma begets trauma and 
you were saying that you always, you're always starting from a place of honesty, you know, even if they're a sociopath or whatever, it's, you know, they're playing that sociopath to the hilt and there's an honesty in your writing that is so real and is so present and is so live that it's just a gift as it's like well how do you feel about it? I feel amazing I feel amazing getting to play these people that you can touch and hear and taste and I, I sound so crazy but yeah I mean that's how I feel and certainly you know Celeste and you know even Sister Alice like there's just there's such a truth about the way that you write and it's so easy you know, and oh, I'm, I'm sure you. you guys feel the rest of, I am I shouldn't assume, but, but there is an ease to just stepping into these. And I, I'm sure it's, it's casting too, but it's, it's, it's her writing, you know, the complexity of these characters and the nuances of these characters and the stuff with the subtext and what a character's saying, but what they really mean. And it's just so beautifully written. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for giving me such a gift, you know. I, I do want to add in, because this is this is mental health month, right? I know Patrick is real familiar with this and Marnie as well as um Tara. And maybe I don't know if Drew knows this, but I actually write as part of counseling. And so it was originally a counseling tool that when I was going through a difficult time in my life and I have struggled with mental health my whole life. So writing my books is a way of me self-discovering through, and, and I actually use them in counseling where we dialogue around the dialogue that I've created and what's going on. And so all of the books are really steeped in, well, they're very big fiction. Most of the characters represent things are, that were going on in my life at the time when I write them. And I stay, as long as I stay true to that vision, I'm able to kind of like deliver on the page. That's why I say a lot of this, I don't know where it comes from because it's really coming from like, what I'm trying to overcome. And Man of War was really me trying to overcome the loss of my father who, who passed away as I was writing, but also sibling rivalry and what happens when families fall apart, when someone, you know, when someone dies in your life, oftentimes families come together. Well, in my situation, my family kind of fell apart when my father passed. And so I was working through sibling rivalry and both two generations of my family, which you see pervasive in this story. As you're reading it, you see this major sibling rivalry that tore apart this family. So I appreciate that you say that because really I'm trying to self-discover when I write. And so for me, the books are extremely personal, every character in them, because they're a facet of what I'm trying to understand and what I'm trying to overcome. And so that's, I think, the only way that I'm able to create. It's a, it's a rough journey through my psyche sometimes, but I come out healthier on every end. So I just want to put that plug in for mental health month that, you know, writing is cathartic and it was my savior and it's continues to be my savior every day as I struggle through my own, you know, issues and stuff like that. So I just want to put that, you know. Well, thank you for sharing. I think it's important to have those open conversations about, you know, our mental health, the importance of it and how something that might seem small or not a big deal, quote unquote, for some is huge for others. And having Mm -hmm. to work through that and be able to have the conversations and how do we work through it? And again, but thank you so much for sharing your stories with us as readers and listeners and, you know, the stories themselves have also been, I think a lot of the readers are like, 
wow, okay, I, I understand this character or, oh, okay, that's where we're, we're going to move through this and we're going to go. And I'm like, ooh, that's, ooh okay, that's, that's familiar. Uh, <laughs> and you're going, okay, okay, I got it, I got it, I got it. Okay, we're going to go work through this. But also I think it's a testament to the writing. I think a lot of times the listener, especially for audiobooks, fall in love with what you guys do with your voices and what you bring that extra oomph to it. But we're also sometimes like, well, you guys have to have something there to work with. And if the, the words aren't written and if the story isn't told, there's not a whole lot you can do with it, you know, from that perspective. Otherwise, there's also no work. I mean, I will tell you this right now. If any of you guys were narrating my Fortune 500 HR stuff that I have to do, I probably would have a lot better time <laughs> listening to them. But they're not. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, I mean, but that's still it's having that joy of being able to when you get a great story like those of TJ's and you're able to bring your own voice and tone and stuff to it. It's just, you know, it's like that's where the magic happens for me, you know, and I think also for a lot of listeners, but yeah. And then the, the villainous of it all sometimes like, Oh, how, how is Marnie going to do this? And how's John going to do this differently when he's doing both characters and their siblings and all that fun stuff. And Patrick, Ooh, he's bad again. <laughs> well, you just give me an idea for my first million. I think it's going to be second quarter projections. <laughs> <laughs> I have a company in mind for you, John. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, you'll be like, I, I, I volunteer as tribute for this training. <laughs> <laughs> but something too that TJ does is provide you guys as her narrators a lot of information on who these characters are, what, you know, more or less the tone should be, what's kind of, kind of going through a, a bit of a sheet sheet and stuff like that. But she also, as she says, gives you free range to then run with it how do you go about deciding and landing on what these characters are going to sound like in their tones and stuff like that when it comes down to being provided with such guidance but also going but have fun with it before we go to what we do with the information i would say that is quite rare i've found in the audiobook world to have someone who is so able to articulate what they want from a character when there are so many characters, like often you do an audiobook that, you know, you do the whole thing and you go, oh, this is fine. I've, I've auditioned with two characters, right? And then the fact that TJ gives us so much information about that char those characters makes our performance better. It means we don't have to guess. You know what I mean? Uh, so, my, so my control freak isn't a big thing. <laughs> no, no, it's so helpful because we are trying to recreate your vision and often you don't get the information to make that happen. And your interpretation, because... So going behind the scenes, you often give a one-page audition for an audiobook, and that's for, what, 300 pages? <laughs> that doesn't tell you anything about the other oh, characters in the book, yeah. so they might absolutely hate what you do with the other characters, but TJ gives you exactly what you need to know. So I don't feel so bad about my control freak anymore. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> great. We see it as control freak. Thank you, Marnie. We see it as direction. Wonderful. Thank you, Marnie. No. Direction. I was going to be like, do not say it's control in this. It's not being a Wonderful. control freak. It's providing that, your that cast with guidance. So much. That mm -hmm. makes me feel so much better. For real, for real. <laughs> the less choices I have to make on the fly, the better off. And the less time I have to stress about, you know, asking for permission or forgiveness kind of like we were talking about before with 
going to the ninth or tenth balcony. Right. Like, just I'm gonna go. You tell me to go, I'm going. Uh, <laughs> I and, believe a few times I've been like, "Scream, Patrick!" Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I I'll I'll typically go even if they tell me not to go, right? Because it's more fun to do whatever's coming naturally to me, and then they'll call and say yeah a couple of these characters maybe that's not exactly you know, all right fine 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 but when you give so much specific stuff up front oh man that's like yeah that's absolutely saves everyone time and i already am making more money off this job by you being so specific up front it, it's <laughs> Well, I appreciate your 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 Delancey audition, though. I have to be honest with you. It was like, I didn't need to give any direction. I got it. And I was just like, I actually sent it to my editor of the book. I'm like, you need to listen to this. Can I send this to you? And she was like, oh my God, he sounds just like the character in my head. I'm like, I didn't even like, like, how do you do that? It was hysterical. So well, that makes and me feel better. The other thing is that normally in an acting situation, you're auditioning for one part, right? Uh, yeah. In an audiobook situation, you're auditioning for who knows what, right? Right. And sometimes you audition and you nail it, you get the job. And now you have to play 36 characters that you had no idea what they sound like, what the author wants them to sound like, what is going on. Exactly. Yeah. But TJ tells us what she wants them to sound like. And that is so wonderful. It is, it's just a weight off the narrator's shoulders. I don't know if you guys feel that. Do you feel that? Yeah. Uh, I, it, for me, this is an absolute blessing to have so much detail for all of the characters in the book because I've had, you know, a myriad of, auditions that I've done in the past and there have been two books that I can think of that I did in my first year where the author said okay you're gonna play you know main character male and I want him to sound like Clint Eastwood a little bit of that gravel in his throat but also with a little bit of Tommy Lee Jones thrown in there I'm like that that okay and he goes and then for the female lead I want that to doesn't see mean anything right <laughs> he goes and I want to see if you can pull off a Scarlett Johansson like, okay <laughs> I'm a guy. I mean, I, I can soften my voice for you. He goes, yeah, just, just whatever. But, you know, conversely with this one, TJ, I am beyond thankful as to, you know, how much detail was given. I mean, granted, you can only give so much detail for, you know, 15 characters, let alone sailors. Right. But I was able to pull from my own experience being on the USS Kitty Hawk. And mm. I know guys that fit each one of these characters <laughs> like edwin castor for example great. there was a dude who worked down in the engineering department was a little overweight he always wore his coveralls and he always would take his laundry a true story kid you not would put it in a knit garment bag secure it off tie it off throw it over the boat and then attach it to a line to wash his clothes with the seawater uh, there is a there is a bathing scene in that book too as well <laughs> that's what i'm referencing that is exactly what i'm referencing but when you give direction say okay this is the accent i want and here's like the the general you know description of the character i'm going to put this in baking terms to kind of you know relate to it a little bit more because i'm also a recreational baker of 11 years <gasps> you're telling me to bake a cake right it's my job 
to include what kind of like little teaser flavors I'm going to put in there, what kind of icing decoration I'm going to put on the top, and if I want a chocolate ganache or not, that's up to me. You provide what kind of cake you want, I deliver the rest. So thank you for that. Thank you. John, anything that you want to add to that? Because I know that you have been known to, like that's how I discovered John, for those that uh, may not have heard the previous chats with him and stuff like that. I was madly in love with Kristen Ashley's uh, book, The Rising series. And there was these three characters that I was like, damn, there we go. And and, and it's one of those things where I'm like, hey, Kristen, can you send me, please, the list of the narrators and who they portrayed so I could, I want to invite them on the show and talk to them and everything, blah, blah, blah. And then she sends me the list and I'm going, I think you forgot these two other characters. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, John did those three. And I go, no, no, stop fucking with me. <laughs> oh. Well, I'm blushing. Yeah. Okay. That's true. Um, but I, for me, I really, I think it's so much about instincts and I think all like these, my, these, my co-narrators here are obviously clearly very, very gifted, you know, successful. And I'm sure so much of it boils down to when you reach a certain level of instinct, you know, you read and then you just get a feeling for it and then following that instinct. But TJ, do you ever receive a, an audition and you're like, wow, that's really not how I envisioned the character, but actually let's go with it. Yes, actually, as a matter of fact, I have. And it's also been in the situation where I've not expected something and I'm like, I don't want them here, but I want them here because they're so good here. You know what I mean? So that's happened to me a couple of times where someone's auditioned for one part and I've been like, oh my God, they're so fabulous, but they'd be better here too. So that does happen. I will Name say names. No. No. <laughs> no. And I've actually had narrators who've auditioned and I, I I've said no. And then I've come back to them and said, I heard them in something else. And wait a minute, that's not what I heard in the audition. And I need to go back and bring them. So that's actually happened to me too. But it's interesting that you say that because I remember hearing your Rene Levesque when you did the audition for him. And I had no, honestly, he was one of those characters. I just knew he was like evil, right? And I didn't want like, I don't know how to best put it, like Pepe Le Pew or like, you know, like twirling, you know, dirty French man. I wanted like evil, <laughs> diabolical French accent, right? Twirling, and dirty I remember... French man. <laughs> That's so... my wheelhouse, twirling, right. dirty French man. <laughs> and so it was funny because Viviana was like, hey, you've got to check out this narrator. And I, I hear he does French really well and everything like that. And so when I got your audition, I was like, that's what I'm looking for that I didn't know I was looking wow. for. So it's very funny that you say that because I remember myself and Danielle listening to the, the audition going, wow, okay, all right, this is amazing. I mean, like, I think we played it like three or four times because it was just not what we expected at all. And it was so fantastic. So it's very funny that you that you say that because um, you're definitely one of those people that we were like, this. we just didn't even picture it for this character. And yet you really you brought it out on a whole nother level. So I, I just Amazing. had to draw attention. It's so interesting that sometimes what a writer creates is not, it's just so different that actor writer relationship. Cause for me, it was so clear that this guy was, you know, obviously, you know, complete despicable character, but there's also a kind of, you know, I don't know, just something, I don't know. It's just this, you know, just to kind of bring in a, that element of, power and but you know power gone dark and uh i don't know i just really saw it just it really left off the page for me but viviana thanks for putting that for that wow 
<laughs> well, and, he's, and the thing with Rene is, is he's kind of like a man on a mission, right? Like he represents his government, right? Like he's not a French pirate, although he acts as one, right? He's got a letter of mark, essentially. And so we understand that the French and the English don't love each other. This is the, the you know, the Seven Years War, right? The start of it. But like, so he's both diabolical, but diabolical with power and legitimate power. Right. But I gotta be honest with you. Like I never had a voice for him. Like I, all of my characters, I have a voice for, he just wasn't one I did. So it was really interesting. And Leo too. I never really had a voice for Leo. So like when I heard you do both of them, I was like, well, first of all, he sounds different and I don't have Pepe Le Pew here, which is amazing. <laughs> and second of all, it was just, I mean, that's hard to do. You're taking an accent and you're also creating a totally different voice too. So that was really interesting. I, I thought it was really, really, really cool. So thanks, TJ. thank you. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's one of those things that, you know, when the author provides the the, the text of the characters and then you guys as actors take it to that a different level of, providing some humanity to it, adding, a, it's almost like what you were saying, James, with the, the whole cooking thing, you, I, but from a savory perspective where there's no measuring or math, you add a dash of this and a dash of that. And Ooh, and there you go. It smells good. How does it taste? Yes. You know, and it becomes this magical new concoction that you're going and now eat it. <laughs> and there we have it. It's great. When it comes down to the scenes though, what was your favorite scenes to perform in this book for you guys? What oh, stands this is out be fun for me? Yes, I know. <laughs> Easy answer, King George the Second. Oh yay! Oh, <laughs> glorious! Just I tried being my hardest. Big asshole. <laughs> Just being as angry at my daughter as I can be. Like, <laughs> oh. It was glorious. I love that you say that because I worked really hard, like traveled to Kensington Palace, actually met with some historians there. I read several documentaries, books about him specifically to try to like encompass him in just one scene because we see him one time in the story, but he needs to drop a bomb on the story when he shows up. So I love that you say that. Oh yeah, I entered that chapter. My intention was you can fuck off. Yep. <laughs> it just was. That was my intention. Love it. You can fuck off. Yeah. yeah. And that's basically what he tells us. Yeah, that's basically what happens. And when you read the story, you realize how like devastating that scene really is in the story. I listened to a really long edit of Ian McKellen playing Gandalf. Oh. And then just recorded the scene so you know not that talented it's in mckellen that did your <laughs> wee bit there we're, we're grateful awesome. to have him <laughs> but you were available and he wasn't so yeah <laughs> exactly he's scheduling conflicts you know <laughs> what about you marnie oh that's such a hard question to answer i i like I don't know. I mean, I mean, I have to say because Sister Alice was new for me, she was exciting. And I just sort of had this image. <laughs> if we're telling our secrets, I had this image of them in Beauty and the Beast, Angela Lansbury. And then, oh, well, off to the cupboard now with your chip. You know, she, <laughs> <laughs> like, just, because there's such an innocence Taylor's and sweetness and strength about her. <laughs> so I really, I have to say, 
that's gotta go under my head that's awesome um but you know whatever gets you into the, the character, right you load mm-hmm. you give us all this information then it's sort of whatever gets you there and for whatever reason that was sort of running around in my head <laughs> and so I really, I mean, obviously, I, I mean, I love Celeste, young, older, it doesn't matter, but th- that was especially exciting for me because she was new, so. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick? Uh, w- well, I, when I prepped the book, I did it with the, the first PDF I got had nothing highlighted or done. So I plowed through to get a sense of what was going on and who was who and, and all that kind of stuff. But I had no, I knew the main characters I was playing, but no real sense of stuff. And then when I got it with the highlighted stuff, so it was easy just to hit my own parts, I just plowed right in and gloriously happened upon these dudes, (laughs) overprivileged dudes hanging out, partying some night in New York. And, you know, they're they act pretty much the same way now they did 200 years ago. <laughs> but the fun part was, is I wasn't expecting it. And so all of it was just like, oh, I know these guys. I know exactly. <laughs> this is really fun. And so to just have these young assholes taking the piss out of each other back and forth for, you know, five, six pages was a true, true gift and delight. It was awesome. That was my <laughs> Oh my gosh. So I'll spoil the secret now that I was going to tell later. So I, I was a trainer when I was in college for the wrestling team. And conflict of interest, they, I lived with five of the wrestlers. We won't go anywhere with it. <laughs> and we had many drunk nights because I was also a bartender at the bar that they frequented. So the Broad Street Boys, which he is speaking of, are the Central Michigan wrestling team that I <laughs> that's, that's amazing. And there were many nights that they were stripping down, running down the street, doing crazy things. And so this was my homage to my five wrestling roommates. Wow. So when I wrote that scene, I'm like, oh my God, what would the boys do? So they had another nickname, which I will not reference here. <laughs> but we, but that was... When I was writing the the Hellfire Club where they're sneaking in, what Patrick is referencing is that there's Genie's the password and they're in the background just screaming and heckling and trying to get into the party. So, uh, oh my God, when we listened to that, me and Danielle were like crying, Patrick, we were crying. Good. It was so funny. And Good. then Jason Clark is very serious. What's the password? <laughs> and, and Patrick's like back there yelling. You can almost see him in the back shouting over poor India, who's like, I'm just trying to sneak in here, people. So <laughs> thank you for fun. that. A lot of fun. Thank you. Typical, you know, Friday, Saturday night in your 20s, you know? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's what it was. <laughs> Doesn't matter what century. Um, <laughs> John and James, what about you guys? So for me, given the the variety of characters that I played, I mean, yeah, there was the you know general description, so there wasn't a lot of depth to the characters, so I had to provide that depth. But one guy that just had such an impact as far as emotion for me to the story was towards the end, where George the Third in his prince stage prior to him becoming king. And this is, you know, fairly towards the end. And this scene almost kind of tugged at my heartstrings on a very personal, like father-daughter relationship. And that's how I was able to kind of, you know, connect to it, even though this is clearly not a father-daughter scene. But it's the one where, you know, 
she dropped her head, you know, giving into tears. And Prince George just kind of like lifts her chin a little bit and goes, if you have a chance to be loved. And just gives her that whole like encouraging speech. I'm like, dude, ah, uh, you got me. I, I'm, I'm going to connect to this one really well. When I started reading for George Third here, you're going to laugh. I instantly thought of the king from Hamilton. Ah, and, and I saw that's what everyone thinks, right? Because right. I, mean, I, that's as soon as I read, you. you know, George III, I was like, wait a minute, hang on. And I, you know, watched Hamilton with my kids. I'm like, I don't think he's going to be this exact same pompous asshole coming, you know, strutting his stuff, you know, all peacocky. It was like, no, he's like tender and hearted. But you get where I'm coming from. I'm, I'm starting to get at a loss for words here just because this scene was just, huh, it was so good. I appreciate, well, so here's the thing. I am a fan of King George III. As someone who writes historical, like this story in the Revolutionary War and the American Revolutionary War, I spent a lot of time researching him specifically. And what we think and know of him as Americans is not necessarily the case. I've even gone down to reading letters of his, documents of his, those kinds of things, and right. wanted to kind of do more justice to him when he was a young man, as well as what we learned about him later in his life. He also had a mental health disorder that affected him greatly in his in his older age. And so when I wrote that scene, I wanted, because technically they're cousins, India and, and right. him are cousins, right? And so I wanted to, to kind of say, you know, just because I write from an American perspective doesn't mean I can't look at the whole picture and see the man for what he was, right? So um, that was kind of the goal of that, to be of all things, to surprise the reader and say, this is what, what this man really potentially was like. He loved his wife, definitely. He really didn't want to be a king. You know, when he did become one, he was a very simple kind of kind-hearted man. So I, I wanted to kind of give him that, like, I wanted to turn the reader around and go, wait a minute, is this what he was really like? So for, for John being the British man and, and for, you know, our New Zealander, you know, come, who has that background, right? I wanted to give him, give him you know, that fairness. So. Yep. Yeah. I also want John to be able to answer the previous question, but before you do, John, <laughs> what I would like to sort of say is that what I appreciate about what TJ has done is that she's dealing with both the indigenous elements, the crown elements, that's what we call it here, and also just the white people who came and took over the land. And that is a super complicated thing to traverse and the fact that you're trying to do that and whether it's perfect whether it's imperfect that doesn't matter the fact you're trying to do it and explore some of that messiness that's exciting and that's important I think so coming from New Zealand we are constantly dealing with that like we are the only country that has ever had a peaceful treaty with an indigenous culture, right? And peaceful treaty is a lie because it was not peaceful, mm -hmm. but, you know, it was a treaty. That was the first one that ever happened. And the stories of people with uh, that are indigenous to countries needs to be told even if it's through the lens of white people, which we are, it's still important. And I think the way you've done it is sympathetic and you've done the research and that's important. Thank you. But that's a white person saying that. So, you know. <laughs> 
exactly. You know, I don't, um, I've never seen Hamilton, so I don't really know George III from that, but I, I, I the image <laughs> I have for George III is, is Nigel Hawthorne in um, Madison and George. Oh, yes, so good. And I think that is also really a very honest and um, nuanced portrayal of him, where he's obviously, you know, having real difficulties, but at the same time, there's a deep personal connection he has and the deep love he has for his family and for his wife. And yet at the same time, he's, you know, obviously really, uh, yeah, going through it. So yeah, that's uh, that was my image of, uh, of uh, King George III for this. Um, but in terms of my favorite scene, there's also another really heartbreaking scene moving scene but heartbreaking towards the end when the three brothers Stephen, Dane and James you know reconvene there's a really tender heartbreaking moment between all three of them I won't obviously reveal how it turns out but for me reading as Stephen it yeah it was a really special thing to to, to be part of. Well and he in that scene is kind of the pacifist right but Spoil this isn't a spoiler because everyone who the, this is already revealed in the actual saga, we know that Stephen is the brother that dies and he's killed essentially, and that's known in the Tory and the traitor. So I'm not this is no spoiler. So it's the pacifist who pays the price of this three-way brotherly. Actually, the, the fight is really between the older and the younger brother, which is the core of man of war. And Stephen is the pacifist caught in the middle. And ultimately, it's his daughter, Dulles McKesson, who is the main character. Darling Gella is our narrator for that particular character, who really carries the story forward as the daughter of the peacemaker. So the scene that you're talking about really is the start of the deconstruction of their family, even like where things just really go awry. And you almost see the naivety of him that he wants to fix this problem, but it's gone beyond peacekeeping, just like what we see in the Tory and the traitor between the Six Nations of the Iroquois or the Haudenosaunee and then the Americans as well as, you know, the crown, right? This breaking of ways and the ones caught in the middle are the ones who pay the price. And it's a resonant theme I'm trying to give both with sibling rivalry, with country rivalries, with these types of things is that the marginalized middle are often the ones who, who pay the price. And we can see it in war today as well. And so I was trying to kind of get it in my own life as I was going through my own counseling, realizing, you know, how that is pervasive in my own personal life. So I appreciate that you, you know, recognize it in that scene that it's kind of this, it's a really unique scene in the story, definitely. And the thing is, you can see it didn't have to turn out that way. And that's what's so delicate about the way you've written it is that they could have gone left, but they all decided to go right. And, you know, that, I think that's probably a hallmark of history in general is, you know, it could have been so different. They could have, you know, they could have decided to do this, but they decided to do this. Um, yeah. It's really real, but also just on a family basis, it's really, really real. Mm -hmm. And that's essentially, I was looking at what happened in my own family where we saw things just go the wrong way and were never resolved. And so, and that commonly happens in families and in war and in families as countries, look at the Americans and the British and them going separate ways and stuff like that too. So I was really trying to represent all those different things when I was doing that scene. And it really was in my mind as I was writing it. So, and, and Patrick was in that scene too, as well as a character. So he was kind of the villain in that scene basically. So, yeah. The survivor in that scene. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> he's, a, he's a survivor all the time. That is first and foremost, James McKesson. He's a survivor of the story. He's definitely so. Just trying to get back to the way things were supposed to be. Right. He just he's trying to get back his. to zero. He's trying to get the deck set the way it's supposed to be set. 
That's all. Well, if you look at it from his perspective, he was a wronged party to some degree. You know, he was. <laughs> and we're going to revisit that again in The Rubble, actually, which is the book I just wrote. We're going to get, so Man of, Man of War is really the setup. While it's a prequel, it occurs fourth for a reason. So we're supposed to fill in the blanks of the first three stories, and we're going to set ourselves up for The Rebel, The, uh, the Raider, and The Renegade, which is the next part of the story. So in it, it carries on in that direction. We're going to go deeper and we're going to run alongside the other stories. So you're going to see scenes again, potentially that you did before, but now you're seeing them from what, what mm. Alexis or Lexi was doing. So now what was he doing all that time besides messing people's lives up? There was part of the story. Like what was James doing? What was Celeste doing on all those offstage moments? you know, that we were missing. So now we're about to turn them around. We're going to go back to the traitor, but that part of the story is now going to be seen through this part of the story. And we're going to pick up some of these characters in Man of War that we didn't realize were there, but they were there. And they were, but they were just missing because I wasn't providing that much information to you as a reader. I was selectively holding it back. So, so yeah, more to come. DJ, are you <laughs> telling us we have more work? I am, I am. Let me get my See, calendar I, out. Hold on. I, I, am, I am greedy. I collect voices. Like he once does. I've collected you, you're mine. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I keep you. Oh, she has staked her claim, guys. Seriously, oh, she oh, has. I know. Like I was talking to uh, Danielle the other day. I'm like, oh my god, this is going to be amazing for John. He's going to sound so fantastic here. Oh my gosh, this is this is totally Drew right here. Like I have everybody. Like you know, all like I, in my head. And it's like this, like now you're like mine, you belong to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Apparently JJ's cash cow. <laughs> <laughs> well, the funniest thing too, is that as from a listener perspective, we love it when we have the consistency, especially in a series or a saga where the characters are popping up again to have the same narrators that we got to love and know or hate and still love them and things like that as far as throughout the story. So when the casting is done intentionally and knowing that there's going to be more stories coming down the pipeline and being able to keep the same narrators for that entire ride is just like epic awesomeness. And I've also had to remind TJ, I, go, I, I know they're yours, but I, I found some of them first in the... <laughs> <laughs> Or and sharing is credit. caring, TJ. Sharing is caring. <laughs> I am I am kind of a greedy bitch that way. Uh -huh. <laughs> I love her for it. I love her for it. <laughs> TJ, why don't you go on with the, the next set of questions and stuff like that? Okay. Um, you know, some of them we answered already, but I'm gonna so I'm gonna jump forward a little bit and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna address everybody individually. All right, haha. -ha. So I'm gonna go to Patrick and Marnie. Like they've been with me since the very beginning. And so I have to first thank you for jumping on to this. I mean, we've talked a couple times now, but like I'm this, I came out this really nobody independent, like nobody had ever heard of me. And like you took on my story and made it your own and have stayed with me. So I have to say that at first because like your voice really just has, your voices have, have given my story so much. So thank you, first of all, to, to say that up front. And thank you for being evil too. Um, so Patrick <laughs> and Marnie, so Celeste and Roger, they've come back, right? And so has Roger Delancey and so has James McKesson. What did you learn about your characters that you didn't know in the other books that TJ never told you either? I know there's things that you learned that you didn't know. Uh, well, I can Celeste uniquely so. She was very unique. Yeah. 
Oh gosh. Uh, I didn't know that. I should say I suspected, but this confirmed it for me. I think it confirmed it for me, unless you change it, and because you totally could. Uh, Rogers, <laughs> Rogers' politics are are confirmed for me in that he doesn't have any. He's entirely self-serving and sort of always was, and I think that speaks to his mercenary nature, which I sort of is implied, but you literally said, look, gentlemen, the fact that I'm here and not arresting all of you means I probably feel the same way about King George. Whatever it is, it's like he definitely has his own agenda. uh, He's Irish, remember. So he's he's Irish of Irish descent, which is a bone or two to pick with the crown. Exactly. But he's an opportunist, right? He's taking on whatever opportunity will see him better. That's it. There's another big secret we learn about him that I often imply too, as well, in that story as well. Do you do you know what I'm saying? Oh no, no. Which one? Which one? So he Roger Lancey falls in love hard and that's not, it can be male or female. We see right, him that right. he's really, he's, he's bisexual as a character, right? Mm-hmm. So there was undertones of this actually in the Tory and the traitor. Did right. he, we know he was obsessed with um, Lily, that was Dulles's mother, but he was also obsessed with John Carlyle. And we see him, he's obsessed with Clayton Carlyle, mm-hmm. who is the character that uh, Jason Okay, Clark so that does. might be where some of that comes from, sure. Yeah. yeah, so he actually took turned a lot of his obsession for him onto John Carlyle, who is the nephew of Clayton yeah. Carlyle. Yeah, so he, he had both passion for him as a colleague, but he had passion for him as a man. And I allude to it, if you remember in The Traitor, when they're sitting across the desk from each other going back and forth, was there more of a relationship between these two men yeah. than just a business one? And I leave that open for everyone's interpretation. Yeah. I know what was, but that was a deeper layer of him that we maybe didn't see that this could have been even more of an infatuation that he had with John Carlyle, mm. not just you know, a general yeah. obsession. I think that's like the politics thing where it's something that I intuited yeah. from the first one. So it didn't seem like a surprise. It's sort of like right. a confirmation. Oh yeah, of course he's in the sex club with right. these guys with all- and not all of that right. there. <laughs> and that they were all having fun, right? Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah. So with Marnie, what, what about Celeste? Oh, Do you figure geez. any- I don't know. <laughs> well, she's 12 in this story. So yes. I'm going to spoil it. Okay. She's 12 yeah. in this story. And what we learn about her is she was brought into being basically a lady of the night when Already. she was 12. Yes. Well, yeah. okay. I didn't know if that's okay. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. So yeah. she's, been, she was so young. I didn't realize she, that was, she was, she was basically young. human trafficked all yeah. these women. So what I'm trying to show is that like Jeffrey Epstein was not the first person who did this historically with women. This was a thing. And these women are being used to raise money and they're used for these rich men that they're dealing with. Right. And this is how Celeste starts. She's this innocent, nice girl. And this is how she learned, you know, she becomes that hardened villain that we know her to be. She started out as a 12 year old girl, you know, human trafficked and she fell in love with Clayton Carlisle. And he was a kind man who, you know, obviously took pity on her. And we later see her, you know, horizontally turn those emotions towards John Carlisle later. So her, is her love really for John or is it for the memory of the man who who was kind to her in this very difficult time in her life? So right. um, like a piece of that. 
So she's yeah. like projecting her feelings for Clayton onto John. Yeah. So it's, we're learning that these characters, you know, where they, here's how Celeste became really, you know, she really kind of got started in this horrible, and her husband right. later is the one who runs the Hellfire Club, George right. Allen, right. you know, so, <laughs> you know, eventually this is how she learns her craft, running a whorehouse, you know, doing the things that she does, being a spy. It really came from when she was this, this very young girl. So, and she was already a leader too at that, which fascinated me. Yes. I, thought, I was kept thinking if I didn't know her age, I would think that she was an adult, but you know, exactly. It, it, yeah. It, like she never had a childhood. I mean, she really, did. she's a survivor. She was, yeah. And so we're going to learn her, more of her history because eventually she does get her due. Right. Mm -hmm. And she eventually, we find out human trafficked many of these women into her situation. Mm -hmm. So that's going to come to light as we get into the rebel, the renegade, and some of these other stories, we're going to start to, you know, delve more into where she blooms. So you know, more to come there with her. But I'm trying to reflect on what women had to deal with in history. Like our foremothers, we don't hear their stories. We don't, we hear the story of our forefathers, but we right. don't, you know, Me Too is not the first, you know, it's the, the recent enlightenment of all the things that have gone years and years on and in the past. And so I'm trying to draw attention to, you know, what happened to our foremothers to give respect to them that they were often in these difficult situations and, and stuff like that. So I will go over to Drew. So Drew, you voiced Lord Loveland. I you do. did King George and you did Kent as well. Of the three of those, which one did you like to do the most? I think King George II. I mean, who doesn't want to play a king? <laughs> <laughs> Okay. How dare you? <laughs> that is so much fun to say because he was so angry. And so I you can it. just do that. And that's very fun. <laughs> <laughs> so John, I'm going to send one over to you. So this is a special request question. I was asked this to ask you actually oh by one of your I know. Fans. <laughs> <laughs> by one of your What's that? I feel neglected. Okay. So she, she wants me to ask you. So, what do you like about doing a historical versus a contemporary? And like, how do you get yourself into doing one or the other as well when you're prepping and preparing and stuff like that? Wow, that's a really, really good question. You know, I know, I mean? right? Yeah, that's really, really good. I think they've got a PhD or something. That's uh, <laughs> um, I for me, I think that. Uh, you know, the thing that really matters to me more than anything is just the story. So that's really what I kind of revolve my characters around is how they can best tell the story. So just thinking about this, you know, neither of my characters in Man of War is the central, central focus. They're there to kind of support. And so when I'm thinking about doing characters, that's the goal is to how how we can best tell tell the story. So then it's not really much of a difference between whatever genre or whatever period it's set in. It's still kind of the same thing. But in terms of getting into the the language, maybe, or the, the kind of cultural sensitivities, I think, you know, obviously, when it's, you know, contemporary, or even something said in the future, you know, the language is going to be different. And the way people speak and engage with each other is going to be slightly different. 
Um, you know, period pieces tend to have a little bit more, in my experience, that goes unsaid, that's maybe a little bit more subtextual, like Money said. Whereas, you know, some contemporary stuff is pretty on the nose, kind of direct, almost stream of consciousness. This is what I am, this is what I feel, this is, you know, this is what's happening right now. So having an awareness of that, but... Uh, look, to be honest, my pro there's no difference in my in my process. Still the same thing. Still just reading for what the story is and how to um, how to best tell it. You know, I probably need like a week to think about a, a legit answer to that question. That's such, such a good question. Hope that's okay. <laughs> Thank you. And James, so oh my gosh, you did. So you and I had the fort. I had the. I was fortunate enough to hear some of your clips um, when you sent those to me, and I love the fact that you were like, "Hey, what do you think of this?" So did like when you were creating your sailor voices, what did you, what inspired you on your sailor voices? Cause I know like I've watched like master and commander and lots of those great movies. And I heard all these great sailor voices, but what was your inspiration for your great sailor voices? So for me, I'm a huge fan of the pirates of the Caribbean uh, movie series. <laughs> uh, and I'm also an avid uh, video game player. So there's, you know, lots of pirate games, this, that, and the other. Uh, Sid Meier's actually created this game simply called Pirates, where it was up to you to sail around and become the ultimate pirate and then defeating all the other ones from history, from Blackbeard and everybody else in between. But I would say the funniest one for me that I created, because to borrow what you just said, John, my roles were not the spotlight of the story. It is my job to, to play the supporting characters and then make the other main characters shine. And so I was like, okay, how can I fill in those gaps? Jack Johnson, when I was prepping his stuff, what came to mind was from a uh, Hans Christian Andersen uh, story made into a cartoon movie. There was this old gentleman butler character who at any time he was asked to do anything, he always replied with, oh, my bones, my back, my aching joints. <laughs> that was the first thing that came to mind with Jack Johnson. I was like, wait a minute. So I'm going to use that kind of that mannerism in his voice, but I have to make him, you know, a sailor at the same time. So he's weathered. He's he could be frail, but he has to have that, you know, that fatherly advice tone in his voice as well. So anytime he's he's back in there, he's asked to do something. That's where we get the yes, sir. Anything I can get for you, sir, it'll be my pleasure <laughs> kind of thing. Right. Thank you. So I'm going to, before I give it back to Viviana, I'm going to open it up. Does anything, anybody, you can ask me anything you want. You can ask me the most ridiculous, the most obscene, the most crazy, whatever you want to get into my head. Oh, Why did you write it? Oh, we can ask you, you, thanks. Yes. You can ask me, you get to ask oh, me. So whatever, dear. if you, if you have no questions, it's okay. But I actually have a question that occurred to me okay. when we started, this was your the series was your first foray into audiobooks, right? Yes, yeah. Yes. How come? I mean, this is a very ambitious project. Nothing wrong with that. It's just what what put it over the the thing for you to go with a huge multicast thing instead of just finding a voice you like, get the first book out there, grow your art. Like instead of that sort of very safe step-by-step, -step, you were like, no, I want a full cast. I want to go out. I've <laughs> got, I got a all. vision. I know what I got. <laughs> like, what was it that made you decide to go that way instead of the sort of step-by-step? -step uh, what made me go balls to the walls, basically. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I have a mohawk, right? Like, I'm I so don't glad you did. 
right? I, I don't do anything in like, I mean, granted, my first, mm-hmm. I mean, this book is 600 pages, right? Like I don't, I don't do anything in like smalls. Like I'm oh. going to be very honest with you. Go like, big or I, go home. I, I am. I am very much the theory of go big or go home. And, and I'll be really honest with you. The truth of it is that I had a vision of the story when I wrote it as big. And I got turned down by tons of agents, tons of public, like I sent it out to every publishing company, everything. I even had one woman tell me, no one will touch this. No one will listen to this. No one will read this. No one will buy this. So, I mean, literally had so many people tell me every which way from Sunday that, you know, I just needed to hang up my shop. You know what I mean? I closed down my shop. So Uh I, I kind of had this belief that I I, I knew what it sounded like in my head. I knew how I felt about it on the paper. And I was like, if I can just get the right people and the right voices. And, and, and the truth of it is also um, that John Carlyle, who's not in this story, is, is, is my pre- most precious possession. If I was to have a child, he is my most precious. And I wanted to hear him against different voices. I wanted his voice to be his voice. I wanted Patrick's voice to be Delancey, I wanted Marnie to be Celeste. I wanted to hear them as I hear them in my head. If no one was ever going to buy my audiobook, at least for me, I was going to get to hear it. That's great. And so it was completely selfish. Um, it's like I said, it was when I wrote my book and when I put them out and self-published them, I'm like, I'm selfish. This is the story I want. I understand it's too big for everybody. Nobody may want to buy it. Like it may never That's have a readership, wonderful. but it's, it, it's about me. And what I'm looking for. So when I chose my narrators too, it was also like, who is going to give me, when I listen to their audition, who is going to give the story, that character, their justice, right? Like who is going to, like, I'm going to sit down and listen to them and I'm going to cry and get all emotional listening to them. So it's truly selfish to be very honest. Like, I just was like, if I'm going to give my everything, I'm going to give everything. And, um, I'm very fortunate. My husband's very supportive. As I say, well, this is the bill. Um, <laughs> I wanted to ask that too. I was like, this is a big cast. How do you like <laughs> Well, well, I have a really good job. Um, I don't sell a lot of books. I don't sell a lot of audiobooks. but I really believe that like for me personally, I have so much belief in your talent and the talent of my production company that in my readers, I have so much love for my readers that I want to give them the experience the way that I feel it, see it, hear it, you know? So, um, so yeah, it's really selfish. I just wanted to hear them done with justice. And I knew that if I got the right people voicing them, you know, it would be for, you know, it would, it would be, it would be perfect. So for me, the first, you know, two books were just perfect and they were emotional journeys and listening um, Danielle already told me, she's like, there will be many tears, Tracy, there will be many tears. Cause she knows I, I get very emotional about what I hear because of where it comes from in my writings. And it takes me back to those places when I was doing counseling and stuff like that. Honestly, we're adding cast members for the turncoat just to put it out there. <laughs> we're getting oh, bigger. Now. Yes. We're getting bigger. We're getting bigger. Um, she likes so. my big. word count as being cut down. I'm no, curious. no. <laughs> well, here, here's the thing. So secretly, I segue people into like where my heroes are and my heroines are and my villains are. I was too, just being right? shitty. I'm <laughs> <laughs> Be shitty all you like. Um, no, seriously. Like I, I had this one character I write right now where I hear only John Hartley. I'm like, well, this is going to be John Hartley right here. And I kind of... <laughs> 
And I kind of laughed through some of it because he's a bit of a buffoon character. Sorry, not sorry. Um, but then I, I even wrote a villain. I even wrote a hero for Patrick Zeller because he always do, does my does all my villains, right? So like I'm like I've got to give him something beautiful to give us his you know amazing performance. So it, it's really I, I just really believe not hearing it. Marnie Young or Drew MacArthur. So. <laughs> well, I, I will I will interject and say that That's in the conversations there that we've problem. done. <laughs> <laughs> don't you him. worry yeah don't you worry listen i am just so and i mean i'm not like blowing sunshine or whatever oh, i guys, really am i am just so honored to be a part 3 of 30 like, in the morning in supporting whatever it is out. i'm just so delighted to be a part of this so i don't yeah. care if Thank i'm third spear carrier no. to the left i will be Marty. the best damn third spirit carrier to the left that there is for you well, because seriously. it's so good it's no so, we so will good. see celeste and we will see celeste we see james we will see there will be multiple characters that come back we're also going to pick up new characters remember we're 20 years back right man of war is 20 years before the other part of the story so we're going to pick up some of these old characters we're going to bring in some of these newer characters that we just saw hints of them in the trader and then we're also, there's a couple side books. So a character that Drew does will be one of the side books. Um, we have to learn about John Carlyle's brother, right? Gavin Carlyle. So that will be, you know, there's a character in the Minuteman, which is the one I wrote for Patrick Zeller specifically, you know, like we're gonna, uh, you know, go in that direction. So mm. I, I say that I claim all of you, like, but I mean, I really do because for me personally, like it's, it's t totally selfish. So I just love having, such amazing voices to work with and and having so much fun any other questions I, just uh, I have a question um I, okay, TJ go, go, is Drew, Viviana go. still alive I'm listening Viviana. I am <laughs> listening okay and this is fascinating for me because I see the thing is I guess I think we've just lost our minds no 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 yes but I love it because here's the thing that sometimes I am so honored and privileged to do what I do with this podcast and the series <laughs> Because I, I, I get to see the finished product when it's completely, utterly done and packaged perfectly and, and with the glitter and the gold. And, but then I also get to see the reactions from the listeners. But before all that, I get to see the process of the casting and TJ. And, and then when hearing those moments where TJ's like, oh my God, I just heard James do this. Or, oh my God, I just heard Drew do this. And they're going to be epic in this other character in this other book four down the line. And I'm going, I love it. I just fucking love it. And being able to see also the, how you guys take things so serious and to heart and providing the, this, you know, breath of life to these characters that she has worked so hard for and that she, that she loves is just for me, like that moment of, oh, you know, and, and so I, I get to see this and then I get to talk to you guys and the fact that, you know, Drew, it's like three o'clock in the morning and he's with us and, 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 and you'll be getting ready for breakfast soon, right? Yeah. <laughs> Marnie, you so it means I can sleep in, baby. Oh, I just, <laughs> yeah. um, it's a mini, well, I mean, I think it's mini. Um, so like, you know, they say with directors that they eat, sleep, breathe, directing. Do you eat, sleep, breathe, writing? I mean, is there like, you know, in other words, so if you're like out somewhere, do you sit there and just start writing or like typing yourself a note or something? Or are you like, you know what I mean? Like it's kind of always there percolating. So yes and no. So like I have a really serious like side hustle or my real hustle, I guess, if you want to put it that way. So like I, I see patients and I'm out, I work in the medical business basically. Right. 
So it's very a weird dichotomy when I'll be out at work and I'm like, oh, this is a great idea. And I like, I'll leave all these notes for myself on my computer. But the truth is that, yeah, I, I do. And, and I, I will be honest with you, my muse is strong. And when I'm in the throes of it, I kind of will spend like 12 hours at a computer. Like my husband knows don't open the door and like, I won't eat. Like I, I can be very honest with you. When I got down to the end of finishing the rebel, I was so strong in the characters that like I, when I was done, I slept for like two days. Like I really oh, wow. just go so deep into the characters when I'm writing them. Like I had to get Alexi. That's the main character those way. I'm like, I got to get him out of my head. Cause I got to do some work on the turncoat with John Carlisle. Right. But I will also say that they frequently wake me up in the middle of the night. Like John Carlyle yes. notoriously. Sure, I'll sure. be laying in bed and I'll be yes. like, oh my God, John Carlyle, really? And I'll get up and like, I start typing out like all his lines and some of the most beautiful lines that that character has delivered had been at four in the morning. I will say that, you know, Alexi, that character that I've been writing, you know, he comes to me when I walk. So I, my neighbors, like during the middle of the winter when it's 40 degrees and it's snowy in Michigan, will see me out there walking every couple hours. And they're like, what is this woman doing? Talking to myself, <laughs> leaving myself messages. Yes. So I will tell you that like, I, I truly like, I don't know if there's a such thing as method writing. Cause I don't know that that's a thing. Sure, but like when I be. sit, I sit down to write Roger Delancey, I'm like, okay, like we're going to be as evil as we can be today. This is all I'm writing, you know, like, and I just like try to like take the reins off my brain and become, I am always writing. I mean, when you're writing a book that's 600 pages, which essentially now the rebel is, and then the renegade will be, it takes me three years between research, travel to build the stories. So, so this sounds yeah. to me like you have most of these things, sort of the story stuff's carted out and then you're filling in as you go or are you just start from beginning and going well it, there's some of it is together and some of it isn't okay, okay? so alexi mckesson was never meant to be a main character that people will know him as the the rebel character that drives john carlisle nuts mm -hmm. He's also the cousin, uh, he's James McKesson's son. He was never meant to be a book. I ended up going down that road because I had so many fans and my editor going, please, 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 please write a story about him. So that part of the story was never meant to be a thing. But what it did was it dovetailed so nicely into what I was going to do that it just opened up all these branches, right? So do I know John Carlyle's journey and Dallas McKesson's? Yes, I do. But everything else is kind of like up in okay. the air. So yeah, yeah. So what happens with Celeste, all that coming out later on, I was like, oh, okay, we're going to do this now, you know? But, um, but it, eventually it, before you dive in, you'll have it carted out so, or figured it, plotted out. Or no? Oh, sometimes. Sometimes, like, so okay. I never know the end of a book because remember, I write them in counseling and I truly write them mm. in counseling. So whatever I'm dealing with on my plate at that time really manifests in what I create. I knew I was going to tell a story about Alexi. I knew because of the way the story was built, I had X, Y, and Z to do. Mm -hmm. But uh, after that, it was like, okay, Alexi, tell me your journey. What is your journey? And he did. He, it was his journey through having my first real fans, my journey through the audio business, my journey through living through COVID, my, um, my self-discovery of some of my own you know, struggles, you know, with depression and different things that I was going through. So it was like, there's, I don't know the endings of my books. The endings come to me as I get to them too. I, okay. I never know my endings. I don't. And oftentimes characters surprise me. If I'm truly channeling a character, they will do things. Like there are things that Rene Levesque did in that book that like, 
you know, I hadn't intended on him being, you know, someone who carved up women's faces. That was just not something that I planned on. I mean, and then boom, it was there on the page. And I was like, oh, well, someone's going to have to narrate that someday. Um, <laughs> but, you know, honestly, like some of the things I just don't plan on them. They just, if you're truly one with the character, they, oh, yeah, they, they deliver. Well, also, I would imagine you'd get bored if you weren't surprising yourself while you're yes. writing, then you would stop writing <laughs> right well and the thing is either i have a lot of problems or um, i'm working either i have a lot of problems or, or i work through a lot i i'm just i don't know it's 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 a really introspective process it's it's a very lonely but not lonely journey because you leave your family you leave everything behind and you sit down at the computer and you just become right so uh well and it's how- not lonely because you will eventually with all of us well, it is now, right? Um, but you know, here I'm also a selfish bitch. I'm going to be honest. Um, <laughs> I, I, I had a really hard time sharing my characters when it first came to like having you guys narrate them, especially the first four. Like I had such a hard time like sharing them with with you guys and saying, okay, they're going to narrate. I'm going to let them create. I'm going to let them become. Um, especially with John Carlyle for me, because he was, he went through my journey of, you know, potential suicide and different things that happened. Like he was uniquely mm-hmm. mine. So sharing him with, with not only with Shane, but with, with readers, you know, becoming and enjoying him and living through him was really hard for me. It was really hard. And so now I'm a lot less mm-hmm. selfish. Like now I'm a lot more generous, but in the <laughs> beginning it, I went through, and that's actually what I'm working through in the rebel a bit was my ability to let people into my head, into this very complex place where I was working through my problems and say, I'm going to let these actors into my space and I'm going to let them be as intimate as they can be with me from reader to actor. And this is how I feel about that experience. And so that really resonates in the rebel where I was, where I, there were moments where I felt like I wanted to pull it back and say, no, no more audios. I don't want to do this anymore. I've let too many people into my head, into my pain, into my space. But then there was also the beauty of letting people in and letting them explore and letting them create with my work and, and letting it go. You know what I mean? So, um, and every, every author is different, what they create in a book and what they bring to it. For me, I always work from a place of, of, of my mental health. So it's, it's always a journey into my psyche. One, when I, when I bring people into my world, but also when I listen to it performed too as well. So when I went up and accepted the soap on behalf of this amazing cast, I said, you know, through these pages, an author found justice, but through these voices, I found my voice. So I, on the pages, I was able to overcome what was happening in my life but you guys were able to give it another, another journey. And I needed to, to grow and allow that journey to happen. So I know that was a long answer, but. Um, no, it's fantastic. That's yeah. I, I wanted That's to hear. So, and, and, and honestly, I look at all of you as an extension of me. Um, I look at everyone who joins my process my journey as an author leaves an impact on me and leaves an impact on my work and um, I take all of you guys so very seriously and very like close to my heart because you've you know put your talents to my work and so I just want to say thank you so much for for your beautiful performances and for allowing me to be a greedy bitch for a little bit (laughs) and to bring you into my world and also accepting that I'm a person in growth and that 
the journey is hard for me too. And I do the best that I can as well to, to share and not to be too controlling, you know, but to, to, to be able to let you to create too. So Look, I don't know what um, Marnie and Patrick and um, James and John think, but personally, I think if we didn't give a shit, we wouldn't be here. And I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, if we didn't think this was good, we wouldn't be here. Well, an author will always wants to believe that, right? When you hand it out there, you know that there are times where I'm sure Patrick's like, no, well, what's Tracy thinking here? You know, you know, there are times when I, I had no doubt John Harley was going, I don't know what I got myself into here at a few times, you know, because that character is so diabolical. And I'm sure that all of you guys have those moments, but as an author, you really want to believe that when you hand something off to somebody, you're saying, okay, you know, this was fun. And that's the most important thing that this was fun. And, you know, we had a journey together and um, yeah. So I guess that's, that's me in a nutshell. (laughs) Thank you so much. I know uh, Viv, I'm going to turn it back over to you. Thank you everybody. Yeah. So I got some fun little personal questions to kind of get to know you guys a little bit better aside from all this other fun stuff that we've already learned. Oh dear. Oh yes. I know. Trust me. Okay. So I promise it's not a pub quiz, Marnie. It's literally some fun questions. I I love learning these little things about you guys throughout the years and stuff like that. So when you're not working, what do you guys do for fun? That's silent. I know. Wait, what's not my mommy? Playing with my kids in the mud. Yay! I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. That was a fabulous picture. I love that one. Yeah. (laughs) So all of my spare time these days, uh, in almost a year ago, ten months ago, nine months ago, we moved cross country uh, from San Diego to Connecticut. Actually, not too far from Marnie. Actually. I know. And. every second i feel like a farmer now like there's always <laughs> something to be fixed or built or uh destroyed you know there's something that has to be painted or made into something else so every second i'm doing that and then trying to fit in you know having fun with my kids and stuff too so that's my fun is i'm i'm really loving all this stuff because i never thought being an actor i never thought i would ever get to own a home uh and now i've got this home and it's just it's overwhelming but i it also also very 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 satisfying so that's pretty much sucking up all my time but it's cool what about you drew oh so i'm in new zealand and so um these not much to do i just sort of <laughs> sit here i'm gonna call bullshit i know yeah, exactly it's um, in the morning for Drew, so I'm guessing it's a little... <laughs> no so i'm working as an actor uh which is i don't know the holy grail yeah it's fantastic that's what i feel and voice acting is the thing that pays for the art I want to create. So that's just glorious. Um, And the moment the world is, you know, 
<laughs> fragile state. <laughs> I don't want to get that COVID or that monkeypox. Yep. Um, <laughs> you know, I'd like to go overseas and do that stuff, but at the moment, just being able to express my art and being able to do audiobooks is part of that because for me like my survival job which is a super privileged place to be has been voice acting and lots of it has been incredibly boring (laughs) (laughs) as we all know but doing audiobooks like what you do tj and you know, other authors has been the fun part of these last couple of years. And so, you know, I feel very, very lucky. Next. (laughs) (laughs) James, what do you do for fun? So in the times when I'm not at my booth, uh, I try to section it off to where Monday through Friday is booth time. Saturdays and Sundays are dedicated to my family. Um, happily married man to my amazing wife. We've actually known each other since both of us were in the Navy at the same time. Um, we've got four amazing kids, uh, three girls, one boy. Uh, we got a two for one special in the middle. So one girl, one boy, uh, the twins are 12. Now I alluded a little bit to that. I am a Mm -hmm. baker self-taught. Everything is from scratch. I don't do anything out of the box. I don't do anything uh, artificial colors or flavorings. It just just doesn't taste right. We expect um, cookies, by the way. Say. <laughs> sure, you tell me what address and what kind of cookies you want. I'll whip it up. Right um, But yeah, I mean, just give me you know flour, eggs, sugar, butter. I mm-hmm. will do you know the sweets and whatnot. I also enjoy playing uh, disc golf. I've been doing that off and on for about six years now. It's a lot of fun. And then I just recently acquired my first ever motorcycle last year in the fall. So really, really enjoying that. Oh, he does indeed. Um, (laughs) To include with all of the blasted repairs, the next one in the shoot is to take out the carburetor, Mm -hmm. fully clean that out, put it back in so it stops sputtering on me. But it's a gorgeous bike. Uh, I named her Beastie. It's a 2002 Honda Shadow Saber, 1100cc engine, and it's 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 quite a beefy bike and fairly large. But I'm a big guy. I'm six foot four, 250 pounds. So that bike is is plenty. John, I'm I was scared. Say, that James, bike. could you be more manly with the beard? <laughs> like that for you. I don't like that for you. I don't like it. Um, <laughs> yes, I can. Yes, I can. I'm also a heavy metal enthusiast. Oh, there you go. <laughs> oh dear. There you go. Uh, and then one last little tidbit. I'm also a drummer. I've been playing uh, uh, drums off and on for about 30 years. I am too. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. All right. A few drummers in this in this group, nice. right? So John doesn't get to get away. You got to tell us what you yeah, do. Yeah, no, that's fun. I've never played disc golf, but I absolutely love golf golf. So that's my uh, that's my thing I do. I have to say I really admire actors with families because I don't have kids, don't have a spouse. So I'm uh, leaves me a good amount of time to just. Uh, I'm in Southern California at the moment, and it's just the most amazing thing to do that has nothing to do with acting. You just go and it's in nature and it's gorgeous weather the whole time, and just go for a nice walk and uh, hit a golf ball around. That's my that's my uh, my thing outside of acting, and uh, yeah, that's my thing. And then you know going and spending time with my you know, 
family, my you know, my parents, sister, etc. But uh, yeah, no, uh, that's that's about it. Nothing crazy. Okay. Do I get to say something, Viv? Yeah, do I of get course. To say what I like to do for fun. Yeah. Um, so my real hustle, um, I travel around the world. Part of it, I'm in the medical field, but I travel around the world for my job. So I love to travel actually, and do different history things when I travel around and bring more history back to my books and try to bring more like, you know, uh, resonance to them. Like recently I went to Williamsburg and fired my first, you know, like a British uh, long pattern, you know, uh, brown bath. I was super excited about myself. I was like, oh, I did it, right? Um, but I also um, like to, when I go around traveling too, just like, I'm a shopper, right? So I like collect little goodies. And so this room that you see behind me is both my office and where I put all my shit um, that I purchase when I travel around the world. So I'm a shit collector officially. Oh, no, um, But <laughs> it is a thing, right? Yeah. But I do like to travel. Travel is a big thing for me and I get a lot of inspiration from my writing and I get to do, you know, um, it part is part of my job, which is really extra cool. But also writing is my hobby because I have like a real, you know, I have my other job. So what I do for fun, I know most people will go out and do something in the world. I lock myself in my office and I, and I write stories. Hours. So these yeah. are, yeah, that's my fun stuff. So. Well, we appreciate your fun stuff too. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It's a hobby. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good one to have. All right, guys, uh, one more fun question for you. So music, obviously, is something that we kind of tend to jive to when we have a bunch of drummers and musicians in the, in the group here. Um, but when there's that, what is that one song that it doesn't matter if it's in the car, in your house, in the grocery store, that when it comes on, you all start jamming? And I'm talking about a little bit of a swiggy, swiggy, little dance dancing or a little bit of like just belting yeah. out the lyrics. And it doesn't matter oh. if you're in the frozen aisle at the grocery store. What's that song? Marnie. <laughs> She's like, I, I know it, that you, this is terrible. This is so terrible. I, I think it's Backstreet Boys, but it's, <laughs> it might be insane. I get them confused all the time, but I think it's Backstreet Boys. No, it's gotta be Backstreet because it's Backstreet's back. Oh, all right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah, this <laughs> nice. Mine is the immigrant song by Led Zeppelin. Mm. Like it gets mm. crazy in my car when that song comes on. I'm like, ah, <laughs> like people see me driving by and I'm screaming at the, at the steering wheel when I hear the immigrant song. So mm. um, that would be me, Led mm. Zeppelin, definitely. <laughs> Drew? Then I do remember party on September. I don't know. I don't know who did it. That's the song. That's the song. Nice. So that's going to live on the internet. That's fun. I just said I was a shit collector, dude. So, you know. Bear in mind, it is. Three o'clock in the morning. Yeah, yeah. you're 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 Getting the MVP punchy. tonight, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for me, it's got to be. I'm working uh, hard. I'm working <laughs> hard. <laughs> for me, it's got to be uh, George Michael Faith. Uh, when I was a little I kid, that, that was one of my first albums, the cassette tape I got, and I would listen to that tape and play video games. And it would like get me in the zone, get me in a flow. And then, you know, it went away for a while in the 90s. And I was in a bar, say in like 99 or 2000. Yeah. And I was playing pool and it came on and I was like, oh. And I 
kid you not, like immediate flow. And I hit every shot on that nice. table, just <laughs> nice. crushed. So from that moment, that song has been like the one that if that's on, the, I'm going to crush anything limp, in front of me. Not the Limp Biscuit version. The, the no, George no, Michael George Michael. The, <laughs> the real one, yeah. I've got to say that um, the podcast listeners will not have heard this, but I did underscore that with... Yes. <laughs> the, <laughs> that's why I, that's, I'm in that flow right now because yeah. of you. Gotta no, I now. underscored it. I underscored it, but then I realized it was on a Zoom and no one would hear it. So why did I bother? Oh, no, honey, honey. I'm I I, This it. is being okay. recorded. People will hear All it. is fair in love and war. It will be there. All right. It will be as there. As long as you edit it in well. Yes, I promise. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, James, what about you? What's your song? That's actually not a fair question because, one, I'm a drummer and I love music pretty much of all genres except pop. I I'm not a big fan of pop, but... There is just something spectacular and mesmerizing when Kenny Loggins comes on with Highway to the Danger Zone. My <laughs> husband loves that All song. bets are off. <laughs> I mean, Top Gun, My baby. I was going to say, it's, it's got to be a Navy thing. The sequel is coming up. Imagining Top Gun. I mean, you just Hell hear that yeah. song and you just have that second nature. You reach for the dial. You crank it up. You reach with your other hand. You take all the it's windows true. down in the family true. van. Like all four windows come down. <laughs> you throw <laughs> your <laughs> children like out, the you your out the window. <laughs> You're screaming <laughs> at the top of your lungs. Oh my God. That's the one. Yep. Yeah, you just put me, the picture was painted. You need to write your own book. <laughs> yeah, I have actually. I'm oh, looking no. for a publisher. Oh, we'll have, to, ah. we'll have to offline that one. Yeah, John, for you, you know, for Jane, for, for us to have that conversation. Cause, you so, know. John, what's your song? Uh, you know, I think something that gets me fired up is um, so I love film music, anything from, uh, you know, some of my favorite films. So I don't know if I'm like getting, if I'm getting really fired up, probably maybe um, the Hans Zimmer theme from Gladiator. Yeah, yeah. It's got ah, kind of a slow nice. and then, uh, then it hits it, mm -hmm. and uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I love it. Yeah, person, that's fantastic. I get the wrong song. It was no, I'm <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no Marty, no take like, back. But no, no, it's the um, the <laughs> bye, bye, bye. you know that one, bye bye, I'm doing it tonight. Yeah, yeah. No, it's Hans Zimmer. That's the one. I was like, sound right. <laughs> bye bye bye. I shut the door in your face or something like, I love that. I don't know. It's like, it's like, good. I love that question. Cause I actually, it will be ending up putting up all these songs on my phone. So my, cause my goal is to have you guys as a group together in the same room, either at a convention or, you know, TJ, I really think that we need to have like a bit of a retreat where the book gets recorded all oh, together to. <laughs> you know I, I know like everybody's like oh i love that idea or a round table yeah exactly well, and then i'm know, just gonna bust play that music and be like all right you guys you know <laughs> well they did do some booth time although you guys did some some booth time when you did the trader actually yeah not this book yeah uh no not this one i didn't get i was not there but i got the play-by-play -play afterwards and was laughing my butt off especially over some of the stuff that jock was telling me after they did when they were doing the trader mm -hmm. so um there was certainly some fun moments <laughs> I, yeah but that's um, also where i'm like field trip 
you know? I know. <laughs> I was, it's so weird. You know, the weirdest thing though, I have to be about being an author is like, when you don't meet your narrators, you're like, like, I have this weird kind of like my little heart just is like, I just need to meet them just once, <laughs> you know, like I, I, I need to know who these people are, who are narrating my character. Like, I don't know. Like I, like I, it was with the first book, like I said, I was having such a hard time, like separation anxiety. I'm like, who are these people? And then I met you guys in the live for the, the Tory. And when it was over with my husband, was like, how, how did it go? Like, how did it go? I'm like, oh my God, they're so amazing. You know, and I had this just like total, like <laughs> warm fuzzy. And then after that, they became like my family. And whenever I see you on Twitter, I'm like, oh, look, it's Patrick. Or, oh, look, it's Marty. <laughs> and know? it was the exact same way for this. She was like, I am going to be able to talk to James and Drew and Marty and Patrick and John. And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, I'm like, this is so cool. I'm like, I'm not nervous at all. Thank you, TJ, for umping it, you know. Uh, <laughs> I did have I did have one fun memory I wanted to share for oh, it, yeah. when we were doing the booth stuff for that mm -hmm. and we were recording over Zoom and then we were sending you know tracks and she was mixing from everything to try to make it all beautiful and everything right and <laughs> so everything was scheduled real tight back to back and I was all off the same Zoom link and I went in and I was probably five, 10 minutes early because I want to make sure I was there and I don't want to be the one to slow everyone down. But it was when it would, they were wrapping up a Carlisle, a John and Dallas love scene oh, that yeah. moment. So I pop in, hey guys, what's up? And everyone, everyone stops and they're like, oh, hey Patrick, we're just going to finish this up. We'll be with you in just like five minutes. So you sit tight. I have no idea what's going on. Everyone gets real quiet and serious again. And I moved my cock to her bed. <laughs> oh my God. I felt like I walked I in guess, on someone's so hotel doing? room and it was. You are not allowed to read my sex scenes out loud when I'm present. It was the best. It was the best awkward moment uh, I had had professionally that year. It was it was wonderful. It was wonderful. You guys have no idea. Like I seriously, they laugh at me on my end. The minute I have to listen to anything with anything explicit, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> and she hides with her sweater. Serious, like anything explicit. When we get up to those parts, I'm like, oh. and, and, and I know everyone always asks me, like, well, you write it, Tracy. Like, you wrote it. Like, what's the problem? I'm like, you don't understand. Like, first of all, it's a me. When I write them though, and I, I do them, I'm like in the zone, like I'm in the muse. So I write them and then I kind of throw them out there and I don't ever want to hear about them again. Like, don't tell me about like, if it's, if you, I don't want to know, like, I don't want to know. <laughs> I love your like squeamish Midwestern sensibilities. It's, it is delightful. And Danielle laughs about this. Like I said, she had to bet me to get me and I still haven't listened to that scene in the trader. So it's funny because Patrick, you mentioned that. I love, you know, it. <laughs> I love it. Oh my gosh. I remember the first time listening in the Tory when, when Shane was narrating one of the sex scenes, I'm like, Oh my God, I can't listen anymore. My husband's looking at me. I'm like turning red. He's like, you wrote it, dude. I'm like, I know, but like Shane is reading it. And like, he's reading my sex scene. And it's like, what is he, you know, you go through all these thoughts in your head and like the violent scenes, like the bloody scenes, the scalping, it's like, yes, yes, yes. You know, but the minute there's no oh, sex and violence, that. right? That's fine. <laughs> That's fine. All the violence is good. The minute I get, to one of those sexy scenes i'm like oh. 
I love it. I was going to say a huge thank you to you, Viviana, for putting this together. This is such oh, a thank really, you. Yes. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Viviana. Thanks. Yeah, thank you, everybody. Yeah, but before we go, I do want to know what are you guys all working that's coming up next for you guys that you guys can share? I know that sometimes you guys are under NDAs and you can't share until it's announced and stuff, but what can you tell us that you're either currently working on or that's coming up next for you? guys i'll take i'll go first i've actually got two projects that i'm working on back to back uh first one is a non-fiction and so as we all know you try to make non-fiction as engaging as possible this one happens to be on the topic of denial of how we as society <laughs> turned a blind eye to the things that embarrass us the second one is a romance um but as an opposites attract romance so you've got like the super hot studly college all-star hockey player versus the absolute stuck-up bitch who wants nothing to do with them whatsoever. A lot of fun. I'll jump in. I'm doing a um, historical romance uh, trilogy that it's espionage and just these fabulous, really colorful, fun characters and a lot of banter back and forth. Like, I have to, you know, laugh sometimes. Like, I have to take a break and laugh because it's so the banter between the two main characters is just it crackles and it's so funny. So it's it's fun because I do a lot of dark, you know, angsty, really, <laughs> you know, like or and I just got off of a very violent, um, dark romance. So this is kind of like up in the clouds and it just much. I mean, it you know. So that's what I'm working on. I have a uh, couple of uh, cool titles coming up. There's a um, Anna Durand. There's a novel that I'm out. Another kind of uh, very naughty. Uh, it's part of the, the Hot Scots series. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we've also got a Jenica Snow title coming up again. Some nice sultry Scotsman for you. Mm. <laughs> nice. I know. <laughs> Do it again. Nice. That good. <laughs> I just wrapped on a. Um, which, uh, oh, for the, yeah, you guys can see a video, but they can't, this is Patrick. I just wrapped a, <laughs> uh, a series, the third in a series called Immortal Divorce Court by a guy named Kurt Jarosky. And it's one of my favorite series that I do. It's a fantasy, sort of a romance, but it's, it's like a Don Juan story, but set about 300 years ago 400 years ago don juan character is this spanish vampire named sinister sinestra and he's very very earnest and he's trying to do the best thing for the world and make all the right choices but unfortunately he uh has been charmed by persephone with a little tryst they had when he was a young young vampire and so he has this charmed phallus and just calamity follows him for hundreds and hundreds of years but hmm. him and a interesting bunch of other immortals are like always trying to save the planet from these evil forces and it is the most ridiculous and funny group of characters i get to use like every accent i have and i always I have to learn it. a new one or two That's uh, awesome. but oh you know what it reminds me of is um that uh christopher moore uh lamb christ and his childhood buddy biff uh, I think the title is Lamb, Christ and His Childhood Buddy Biff, or whatever. And it, it's like a pretend story of like w- what Jesus was doing in those middle years between his uh, adolescence and you know coming back and getting the band together. And he he 
Pulls hey, together all these John, influences right? from all over the world, from Buddhism and Hinduism and and makes a what if. And he is like this, mm. you know, grew up Catholic. So there's a lot of inside jokes and it's a lot of like, what if? So this story, this series does a lot of that. There's a lot of history and a lot of just really, really fun takes on all of it. So that's my thing that I got coming out again. So. Drew? Yeah. So the next book that's coming out, I'm not sure of the date. We don't have a release date yet, but um, it's called Chasing Darkness. Uh, I think the physical book is out at the moment but it is sort of the story of a person who has been taught to be an assassin to hate everything around him to actively push out emotions figuring out that maybe the world that he existed in wasn't correct Hmm. Um, and so that's called chasing darkness and it should be out I think it's out in paperback at the moment, but in audio form with Drew MacArthur's voice mm-hmm. will be um, in a month or two. So get amongst it. And all I will say is the Turncoat Audio comes out next year. Y'all know about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the Rebel Audio will also be coming out at the end of next year too as well. So, um, and the Rebel book actually is coming out probably November. It's done. It's just in edits right now. And then the Raider book will probably come out at this time next year. So. And where can they get all those, TJ? Uh, Well, I'm available everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) I'm available everywhere. Um, But yes. And then obviously the Man of War, this audio will be coming out at the end of June. So. Yeah, I can't wait for everybody to hear all you guys together, to hear what I hear. It's pretty amazing. Thank you. Hi, everybody. I'm narrator Tara Langella. And unfortunately, I was so sad that I couldn't make it to the Man of War Villains Roundtable episode of the Audiobook Love in 2022 series. But the fabulous TJ London and host Viviana Enchantress of Books asked if I could answer a few questions for them to add to the overall episode. So... Here we go. Tell us a little bit about yourself, how long you've been narrating and got started, as well as telling us which characters you've voiced. Well, I got started many, many years ago in the theater. That's my background. I was a theater actress, and I absolutely adored it and loved it and loved performing live. But I then got started in voiceover. I remember I did my my first job. Uh, I had my first commercial years ago, got into the studio, and I just loved how freeing it was to be able to, just with your voice, to be able to create any character you wanted, any age, anything. Like, the, the voice is limitless, and I absolutely fell in love with voice acting. So I do all kinds of voiceover. I do video games and... Uh, commercials, and I absolutely adore audiobook narrating and getting to work with these phenomenal authors like TJ who create these incredible characters. So in Man of War, I voice Helena McKesson, who is James McKesson's wife, and uh, it is fun, really fun to return to voicing her. You can also hear me as Caroline's very witty and badass lady's maid, Miriam, and Caroline's mother as well. What do you like best about portraying a villain? I love villains. (laughs) And I don't 
often get the opportunity to play a lot of villains in audiobooks, which is very interesting because in video games, I do a lot of video game work and I'm always the villain in the video games. I'm always that creature or that final boss that you come up against and you can't beat and you're cursing as you're playing the game. Yeah, that's me. If you play video games and you find that character, it's most likely me. But what do I like best about portraying them? Depending upon the villain, you know, everyone says, every actor will tell you that a villain doesn't really see themselves as a villain. They just, they see themselves as justified. They have their reasons for doing what they do. So I really enjoy delving into that and really trying to flesh out what it is about that particular person, what their motivation is, why they act the way they do. But on the flip side of that, sometimes there are just characters that are just nasty and it is just as fun to find absolutely absolutely no redeeming quality whatsoever. <laughs> so that is really freeing to be able to just let loose and go, and I relish it any chance I get. TJ provided the narrators with lots of details on the characters, giving guidance on the tone and voice of the characters. How did you land on the final voice and tone for each character? Well, there you have it, because TJ is a goddess, and really was instrumental in and so detailed about how she wanted these characters to be. And because she's such a brilliant writer, it's there. It's just all there in her writing. So it was very easy to find the voice and tone for each character because she basically laid it all out, even without those details, even without the guidance, the written guidance of the tone that were very specific and wonderful to have as an actor. Just when you read her work, it's very, very clear who these people are. She does all the work for you. And really, my job is to just follow those words and allow the words to affect me to be able to bring her characters to life. It's almost like a, a possession. <laughs> so I'm sort of just allowing myself to kind of allow it's it's almost like it's almost like TJ's basically really channeling through me, through my voice. Her characters are speaking through me. And the idea is to just allow that to happen. You know, let her voice come through me as opposed to me trying to create something. What was your favorite scene to narrate? I can't tell you. I can't tell you because it's a big spoiler, so you're just going to have to wait and see and listen, and you're going to know when you hear it. You're going to know when you hear it. What was the hardest and or scene that you struggled with, challenges scene? I have to be very honest and say that I really didn't struggle with Man of War at all. Again, this is credited to TJ. She just makes it so easy as a performer. Okay, so now I have I have some questions specifically from TJ. So uh, let's see what she's asking. What did you love about these naughty characters and these books overall? What I love about the books and the naughty characters and all of TJ's characters is that they are so, I've said this before, they are so magnificently fleshed out, complex, and there's a vulnerability about them. And there's a, 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 bit of, a, a bit of ourselves in each and every one of these, these characters and in this saga. Um, I know this is a very personal story for TJ, but it was also became uh, a bit of a personal journey for me. These books touched me and really helped me to grow 
as um, Tara and also as a performer, as a narrator, I, I feel a more truthful place. Um, and for that, I am very, very grateful. What's it like to work and be part of such a large story saga? Oh, my gosh. I absolutely love, adore being part of a big cast like this, a multicast, uh, being able to work with such tremendous uh, talent. It's just, it's just, it's just extraordinary to be part of that process. And for you guys, for the listeners, it's cinematic. You know, it just brings a whole other, a whole other bit of realism and excitement. I absolutely adore it. I love audiobook narrating. I love, you know, narrating on my own. But there's something really, really special and magnificent about being part of a multicast or a duet. And sometimes we have recording sessions where we are together. And that's really exciting because you have that, you know, you're, you're able to really play off of each other. And that adds just a whole other layer to your performance, right? I mean, of course it does because you have something to play off of. So hearing, being able to hear all of these voices together, it's just, it's, it's epic, just like, just like TJ's stories. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. Oh, now Viviana has some fun getting to know you questions. Here we go. Uh, when you're not working, what do you do for fun? Uh, well, when I'm not working, I uh, horseback ride. I have two horses. I have my my girl, Sweetsie, who is uh, tough and brave and strong. She's kind of like Dallas. And uh, I have uh, my gelding, uh, Trader, my boy, and he is... He's not so brave. <laughs> He's a little on the needy side, and I adore him. So yeah, so I ride as often as I can, and it's really nice uh, to be able to get out of the booth and outside and on my horses. I absolutely adore them. So any chance I get, I'm out riding. What's your favorite holiday and why? Well, come on, you guys. It's Halloween. Halloween is the best holiday ever. And why? Hi, actress. I get to dress up. <laughs> I get to dress up and play, and I, I love Halloween. I grew up on horror movies. I grew up on really cheesy horror movies as a kid, and I absolutely love Halloween, and I dress up every year, and I, I cannot wait. You work with words all day. What is your favorite word, favorite curse word? <laughs> My favorite word is ethereal. Ethereal ethereal just listen to it it's it's beautiful it's just a ethereal it's a magnificent word my favorite curse word well are you sure i can say this viviana well here it goes my favorite curse word is fuck of course and when i'm really feeling it really feeling it it's really kind of nice to say motherfucker there you go guys Tell us what you're currently working on and what comes next for you. So I just finished recording for a the fabulous uh, Finding Nemo, The Big Blue and Beyond musical stage show, which, of course, is based on Pixar's fabulous Finding Nemo, and that is at Disney's Animal Kingdom theme park. So if you guys are there, you can go check it out, and you'll hear me. It was just so much fun to be a part of it. Very excited about it. The other thing that I'm currently working on right now is I have a company called the VoiceOver Repertory Company. We're a podcast company, and we are in the process of finishing up a big 
very silly, very funny farce. So I hope you guys will check that out when it uh, it should be coming out in a few months. And uh, audiobook-wise, I just finished up The Pool Boy by Nikki Sloan, so you guys can take a listen to that. That was so much fun to narrate, and it's very sexy and very sassy, so I hope you'll check that out. Uh, Well, this has been so much fun. I hope everyone enjoys listening to Man of War and these roundtables. Thank you so much. I was just so thrilled to be a part of it. Thank you, guys. So thank you, Patrick, John, uh, Marnie, James, and Drew, and TJ for being part of this year's audiobook loving series. And everyone, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. And we hope you enjoyed this chat as well as the series. And please make sure to follow all of them on their social media. We will be including their links so you guys do not have to go hunting for them. And the information will all be over at the Audiobook Loving Series landing page at Viviana Enchantress of Books. And until next time, happy listening. Thank you for joining us in the Audiobook Lovin' series, hosted by Viviana, Enchantress of Books. We hope you have enjoyed this episode, as well as the series. We've included audio samples of our guests' work within the post for you to check out. Please make sure to visit the main page, link within the post, to learn more about the series, the authors, and the narrators. Please consider leaving a review wherever you listen to the series if you enjoyed today's episode. Make sure to follow us on our social media platforms, and subscribe to the Viviana Enchantress of Books newsletter. Until next time, happy listening. Audiobook Lovin' hopes you've enjoyed this program. 